When you think natural language processing or NLP, you typically think about interacting with customers, with the outside world, with the huge volume of messaging coming from customer service or sales enablement, sort of customer facing applications. But as it turns out, there are applications for NLP within companies, and that's going to be the focus of this week's episode. Um, we speak with Byron Gilbraith, who's the chief data scientist at a company called Tala in Boston. Byron's a PhD from Boston University in neural systems. And he speaks with us about what are the current applications of leveraging sort of chatbots and language technology for better internal company search and communication to save time there as well. Just like there's a lot of redundant ongoing customer service interactions with customers that happen the same way over and over, there's the same kind of thing happening within businesses. People who need to know a parking policy, people that need to find passwords, people that need to know how something works or when a performance review is coming up. And some of this is just ongoing monotonous communication that could be handled better, more efficiently, uh, and maybe even more reliably by machines. And that's what we dive into this week. So without further ado, this is Byron with Tala here on AI and Industry. So, Byron, where I wanted to start before we go into maybe what might be possible is what is possible now in the world of knowledge discovery. So your guys' business is in finding and answering questions from within a team, people who want to know something from maybe someone else on their team or know a standard within a company. How does knowledge discovery work today if you have to kind of explain to a layperson where AI sort of fits in? Sure. So, I mean, right now, the way knowledge management is done is usually something with SharePoint or Confluence or some sort of wiki software or a collection of Google sites. People sort of try all different things depending on their infrastructure. And usually it's somebody's job to keep that up to date. And that can be painful. I have experience having to actually manage that process in the past where you have to go around and just drag people like, look, okay, you need to update your content. Please update your content. Your content is two years out of date. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to do it. It's not part of their job to update content unless it's exactly their job and no one hires for that. So you have all this content. It's distributed across PDFs, wikis, web pages, everything. How do you get to it? And so maybe you have an enterprise search solution. Maybe you don't have anything. Maybe you have whatever searches with whatever tool and people are just left to fend for themselves. And frequently those search tools are just not that great because you can't operate at like the web scale that Google has. So you don't get that power. What are some examples of those just so people kind of can maybe resonate those enterprise search tools, like the brands that maybe fit that mold? Actually, so that's a good question. I can't. I don't have a good sense of like a a third-party vendor. I tend to think in terms of like, if you're using Confluence, using the Confluence search bar, you know, if you're using... Something along those lines. Yeah, just whatever is there. There are specific companies that try to do a lot of the integration. And there's like your business intelligence tools, maybe, which are a little different. But when I was doing it, it was Cognos. I don't know if Cognos is still around or if it's been rebranded or who owns it now. That is indeed how it normally works. From my personal experience, my last company and the one I'm running now is a wiki and a bunch of Google sites and Google docs with the video files and yeah. whatever else. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a kludge of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we look at this idea that oftentimes people don't, if you're at a, if at a large enough company where you have, say, internal service organizations like an IT team or an HR team, and you have a question, you know it's out there somewhere, you might know it's out there somewhere, or you're just like, I just need to know the answer. What is our parking policy for Boston? Like, I want to get this set up. And it's in there. It's on a wiki page somewhere, but you're just busy. You don't want to deal with it. You don't know where it is. The search is terrible. So you just ping your HR person. 
you send them an email, you go walk over to their desk, whatever. They know the answer and they tell you, and maybe they happily tell you, but this is taking time another day to something that you should be able to get yourself quickly. That's where we see AI being a really powerful impact in, in businesses to sort of take these sorts of things, these requests for knowledge, which are available but sort of locked away in some kludge of data repositories and, and get them to people where they are and when they want them. Got it. And I imagine the bigger you get your company, the more and more of an issue this could be where you have to go up an elevator to knock the person on the shoulder and ask the question, right? And you have more and more of these wikis or portions of Confluence mm -hmm. you have to update. One might assume that if you were naive, you might say, all right, well, you know, we'd find some kind of NLP program that would be able to interpret a question in terms of its intent, you know, what is our parking policy in Boston, and then maybe find that cluster of words or something that would exactly relate to that and be able to manifest the answer right in front of you. But clearly, that's an oversimplification. How does this actually have to work? In other words, how do you have to structure the answers, the stuff that would be in the wiki? Yeah. And then how do you have to input the questions to actually make a match and make AI work here? That's right. And it's quite a challenge. The current state of the art is not something where you can just say, I'm going to throw an algorithm at your big pile of documents and then have a chatbot that can have a very smooth conversation. That's what we'd like, but that's not where we are today. And that's not where anybody really is today, I don't believe. The reality is that you do have to either rely on traditional search, which is all keyword based, and you can do some tricks around that to make it a bit better, like contextual awareness at, at some levels. So you can improve search, right? You can just say, okay, we're going to use standard search, but we're going to make it better. We're going to know things about you. So for instance, if you're in a company and you are using something like a single sign-in or we know who you are, you've logged into the system, yeah, yeah. we can use that information. We know that, okay, you're in engineering, you, or we know the kind of questions you've asked. You know, Again, you have more of a personalization effect and then we can sort of use that to serve up disambiguated answers. Like for instance, you know, the example of parking in Boston, but let's say you have an office in San Francisco. What's the parking in San Francisco? And might I get just a big parking policy document, but I really don't care about the other locations. I just care about Boston. Yeah. So we can make things like that more more aware by adding in some things. But then also like unstructured documents is a very challenging proposition because sometimes the answers to questions are not like an FAQ where there's a question and there's an answer. It could be that the answer is encoded across multiple paragraphs of an HR policy document yeah. where it's a little bit fuzzier. And, and so those are actually more challenging to deal with, you know, the kind of questions where the answer might be encoded across multiple entries in a list in a document or is embedded in a table in a document somewhere. And that can be very difficult to work with right now. So to touch on these, maybe we'll go into a little bit of both. You mentioned search. There's companies uh, that we've talked to that focus just on search for e-commerce, for example, making it better, more robust, more accurate. For you folks, search is sort of knowledge discovery within a company. When you talk about kind of adding context to search, what I imagined, I mean, I imagine number one, maybe you'd have methods of search that could draw forth more relevance. I know there's all sorts of algorithms and approaches of which names escape me now, but where you know you can take any given combination of whatever six words that you put into a sentence mm -hmm. and find the most accurate variants of those strings to bring forth answers. So there's that. There's also, you, know, you had said if someone's in Boston, they say parking policy, it's only going to show the Boston one. Even that seems like you need to be drawing a lot of information from that user to improve search for them. What's involved even just in the basics of improving context mm -hmm. for basic search? Because that by itself could drive a lot of value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one way, again, like I said, the, the value in this is that if we know who the user is, which we're more likely to know inside of a company where you've logged into a system, 
we can hook into get or ask even if we have to the user to provide some basic information around around who they are if you give us access to your directory information we can say oh okay we see where you are and we can use that to add context to your search results essentially that we can filter your results or we can add context to shape your query you know essentially that if you ask about parking we say oh but this person's in boston so actually rewrite the query as parking in boston for instance oh okay so, so is that how it would work like you would tweak the question in order to parse out the right results based on that context there's two ways you could do this and one is on the front side it's around this whole idea of query understanding there's actually an excellent series of, of articles about this by daniel tunkelang he has a, a blog post called query understanding a really good work on this describing this idea is but it's academic though He's actually worked at a number of companies. I believe he was at LinkedIn for a while. Daniel Tunkling. Okay. Tunkling. Cool. Yeah, he's out in the West Coast. Worth worth Googling for the folks um, at home. Okay. So he has, like I said, query understanding is the name of his blog post. But yeah, a lot of, of strategies of how to improve the the search experience by not focusing so much on the retrieval, like how do I write a better search algorithm? How do I actually understand what the user wants? Right. And Google's a good example of this. When you see like all the things that they do, I mean, you may talk about filter bubbles and things like that. For instance, if you type in a search and you misspell a word, obviously it can fix that for you. And it can even say, hey, we did a check. We showed you this result, you know. So having good spell checking, having the idea to understand that query segmentation, that if I say I'm looking for uh, machine learning framework information, that machine learning goes together, not yeah, learning yeah, framework yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that gives you much more relevant results. So there's there's techniques you can do just on the sort of natural language understanding and contextual awareness side of the query. So before you even send it to the search engine, how do we know what the person really wants? So that's definitely an area that we, we are working on right now. The other elements I imagine, other than just making search more robust, making mm -hmm. the understanding of intent more robust, is kind of the bigger issues of, like you said, you're not just looking at matching it to text and documents. You've got maybe video files or you know PDFs or things that are tough to read or whatever else. Again, it seems like in some horrible manually entered world, you know, you'd have to like tag all of these things with all these permutations. And then when it gets searched, you know, you would have to reference them. But of course, that's impossible and just as annoying as tapping the people on the shoulder to update their section of the wiki. It's just as annoying. And it's maybe a different level of annoying. So there's a better way of going about that. Go into, I guess, in, in layman's terms, how that approach sort of looks in the real world or, or how it works. Oh, so dealing with, with sort of all these kinds of data. Uh, yeah, yeah. Other than just simple text that maybe is easier to pull up in these regular searches. Yeah. So the reality is that most of the, the sort of exciting machine learning algorithms and things you might be hearing about tend to rely on labeled data right? Being able to pull out things from unstructured text is quite difficult and noisy. There is work by a large number of people who are trying, have been for a while, trying to, you know, automatically create knowledge bases from, from unstructured documents. It tends to be constrained and it tends to be noisy. And so there's always some sort of human cleanup pass that has to happen. And so how do you get these labels? How do you, how do you acquire this information? And because it seems like such an annoying task, such yeah. a tough task. So one of the things you do is you say, well, okay, we're going to either do it ourselves. We're going to say we're going to have a, a pass where we try to pull out what we can, either entirely sort of manually, which you can't do really at scale, but you can do as sort of a, as a first pass or as a services kind of option. Or you try to pass these, you can use these sort of algorithms to assist that process. I think a lot of what we're seeing is, is sort of not so much AI is doing everything for you. It's augmenting a process. It's, it's saying we're still going to need human oversight. We're still going to need people to say, yes, that is correct. No, that's not correct. Yeah. And so part of what we're doing is, is trying to make that more 
amenable, like that, that it's, it's actually making it so that when you put data into the system, it's already doing as much as it can. It's already putting as much of these labels just by the way you've structured your data. Um, and then trying to pull it out of existing documents is sort of an exercise in, okay, what can we get out of this that we think has value? And then sort of have this way to present it so that humans can curate that and, and clean it up. Let me see if I'm on the right page. I'm just imagining this in my mind as me, me meaning not the guy that's written this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but this is useful. I'm seeing, I'm seeing in my mind, I think how this works, where I'm imagining I'm entering some sort of a new policy or, or some process into the wiki somewhere that someone's going to need to find. And maybe just based on context, some tags and labels are already being applied to this, just based on the keywords, based on the section it's being put in, whatever. And maybe what's happening is after I enter all that stuff, I get to see the labels and tags that have been applied automatically. Maybe I can manually put on any ones that maybe haven't been and get rid of any that aren't appropriate. Hopefully the system would maybe learn and calibrate based on that feedback. Then maybe that's a little bit into the future. And then when I leave, now this is all going to be more findable. So sort of as it's entered, the system does some of it, humans can tweak it, but we have the labels we need. Is this sort of what we're talking about? That's absolutely correct. Okay. So for instance, like we mentioned the Boston idea. So, you know, we want to have it very be personalized. So you could, that's a thing you could do. You could say, I've got my policy, I put it in here and it says, oh, well for Boston. And then there's a block of text. We can say, oh yeah, this is a location. We have now just implicitly annotated this or, or tagged up this block of text as Boston. And if we know you're in Boston and you search for parking, we just show you that. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting. And again, it, it seems like it could be just another level of kludge where now you have all the information and you have all these tags around different blocks. But I suppose if at the point of entry, the machine can do a good deal of that tagging and mm -hmm. flagging, then when you're done with inputting, now finding is going to be that much easier. In terms of the kinds of labels, you mentioned that one might be highlighted Boston. Mm -hmm. This is always an issue, you know, in managing a CRM and our marketing automation system like how do we want to segment and categorize? Yeah, yeah. And like, is geo going to be a class that has subclasses or, or do we not want to structure it yeah. like that? Like this isn't a white canvas kind of a problem. How do you guys think about labeling in an unlimited possibility space like that where it could get really sloppy? Yeah. So I think at some level you can, I mean, the way I tend to think about this is it's kind of like if you use Gmail. So Gmail doesn't have a folder structure. No, it's just tags. And I know some people may not like that, but it, you can also render it as a, as a hierarchy, right? You can use a tagging system to get a hierarchy out. And the challenge is we have multifaceted data. Like for instance, if I have a parking policy, do I put it under parking policy, Boston, San Francisco, New York, Seattle, or do I have, this is the Seattle policies, parking benefits, you know, whatever. And it's like, both of those are valid ways of doing it. And, and you could argue about this. And if, uh, you know, and there might be different decisions of how you want to do this. But when you do it something like this way, you can actually have a dynamically faceted knowledge base, right? It's no longer worrying about how do I structure this data and place it in a very rigid fashion and make hope that that's the right way. Because by doing this, it actually makes it very flexible. Obviously, the more flexibility you have, sometimes the more choice paralysis you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, no, I, I got too many things to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, I think partly what we think about here is like it's having the power to to get that so that you can improve the search results, but while also constraining it in some way so that you're not sort of faced with this unlimited possibilities of things. And I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So I guess trying to nutshell this again, mm -hmm. like you said, Gmail is a great example, right? We don't have eight different categories and we just slide everything into the eight categories. We have as many whatevers we want to call them, tags that we can organize in hierarchies. I suppose per person who's building a knowledge discovery sort of system, they would figure out kind of what feels right for their company. And there would be some forethought ahead of time 
with maybe some of the top knowledge managers within that company as to, okay, guys, you know, taking a step back, what seem to be the types of categories that are going to matter? And there's probably some insight from maybe your company's perspective to say, guys, we found that geo is going to be something you want to have if you have these different locations. You might have um, best practices, but then they're also going to have their thoughts. And then that's going to help you kind of develop the initial cloud of labels to then go in and say, okay, whenever we enter something, here's the cloud that it'll initially populate with. I would imagine there's a good deal of forethought with both yourself and the client. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah. And I think one of the, the things that we've looked at there and, and we're sort of actively pursuing, and this is definitely something that can be done today. This is not a, cool. you okay. know, nice. we're talking about years in the future, is this idea of an unsupervised sort of clustering or this idea of topic modeling. If you Yeah, I've heard of the this. topic. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so topic modeling is, a, is an NLP technology where you basically just look at the, you took a lot of documents and you look at the co-occurrence of the terms in those documents and you sort of say, okay, these are probabilistically maybe related together or these different methods for doing this, but you cluster documents together based off of similar, say, word choice and, and things. And then you get these so-called topics out, which tend to just be, again, a list of terms or a list of, of, of uh, phrases that are associated with those documents. They all might contain them. And you might look at an expert might look at that and say, okay, well, that's all productivity. That's all geo. That's all HR. That's all whatever. And so now we have these automatic Got it. things. And so what you could do is you could go and look at somebody's internal sort of wikier thing and you say, look, okay, yeah, you've structured it this way. You've got these tags. We can apply a topic model to your data and say, all right, this is actually where your data sort of naturally clusters together based off of what seems to be sort of semantically embedded in your documents. And you could now automatically apply these tags. You could suddenly say, hey, look, you've got stuff over here, but there's this document way over in this part, which looks like it should belong over here, but somebody stuck it over there. You know, maybe you should restructure how you've done things. You Interesting. Know? Okay, so early in the process, and this will be the last point, just wary of time, but I think this is a really curious element that you're bringing up is that it's not just AI applied maybe after humans do the brainstorming. It's in part, and maybe this is not the best analogy, but it's AI maybe doing some of the brainstorming yeah. of how should this be sorted? What should the possibility space of categories be? Well, let's run topic modeling. Let's run some of these NLP approaches and see where things are naturally clustering. And maybe that'll help give us, you know, a, a grounding and not what we, how we think our data is probably sorted, but really the occurrence of different terms and, and patterns. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'll help people come up with a structure that's actually going to fit their company moving forward. So it sounds like that's an earlier phase of the process for you guys, but mm -hmm. it sounds like that's possible today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, that's definitely the thing we're looking at now. I mean, other things, so it's not just about, you know, we mentioned sort of delivery and so the search aspect of it, but the, the creation, the curation of the data, how to identify where you might be thin, like looking at search results and saying, hey, uh, we're going to proactively suggest that maybe you need content because people are searching for this and it's oh, not showing that's, up. That's really sharp. So supply and demand. Exactly. Like everything around like, is this content out of date? How do we make sure that people are like, hey, you're the author of this page, you should check it out. Like just keeping this stuff alive. Because like again, you have this, you know, the old sort of bit rot concept or, or whatever of like stuff that's online and it just decays because it's it's been there forever. And we see this with data in corporate knowledge bases, unless you have people actively banging on it to keep it up to date. And even then it just you get data that's there, it's been hanging out. No one's accessed it forever. You know, do you really even need this? Or are these pages up to date? How do you know if you have a good sort of living document here? And really using AI to stay on top of that and, and help people sort of work with their knowledge. Nice. This is handy. This is a lot of different kinds of applications to AI to a certain narrow problem domain. 
which I think is a lot of the time what interesting companies are doing. But you're talking about the initial sorting process. You're talking about figuring out maybe what areas might need more material. You're talking about dating and notifying folks if things die, mm-hmm. determining who the owners are. So lots of opportunities to hopefully make internal knowledge more accessible. Once every other week, I can't find things that I put into my own wiki. So I have my fingers crossed that this technology continues to progress. <laughs> so Brian, I appreciate your time and your insight today, brother. Yeah, great. thanks a lot. So that's all for this episode on AI and industry. This has been our first monthly series where we partnered with an outside company. Again, we partnered with Nuance Communications on this four interview series for February, all based around NLP. I'd be very interested in your ideas on this. It's the first time we've really done it. Again, as I had mentioned in our first episode in this series, which if you haven't heard it, is with the CTO of Nuance, where we talk about NLP in the automotive and healthcare space, uh, which was an excellent and relatively long interview. As I mentioned in that episode, this is really our first time doing this here on the AI and industry podcast and here in tech emergence in general. When we decided to finally say yes to some of these folks who really wanted to be in front of our business leader audience, we wanted to make it clear that it would be a win-win. We wanted to find a way to not promote products, not have an opinion about products because our job is being objective, but instead find a way to make it valuable for both parties, make it valuable for brands, but add value to our actual listeners. So instead of promoting someone's product in an intro to a podcast, we find companies that are actually doing innovative, legitimate work in different NLP or AI domains. Um, We find ways to create content with them that can help educate other business leaders in a way that still maintains the same objective editorial standards that we've always had. So I'm sure we're going to learn as we move forward with this process. Those of you who followed us for a long enough time on the email list and sometimes on social, I frequently share some of our sort of adventures as a startup here, uh, learning lessons and moving and growing forward. But I think partnering with brands is inevitably going to be part of our future picture. And again, we want to do that in a way that's going to be a big win-win. So for the podcast listeners, uh, no one's going to get pitched with what product to buy or what event to go to. But what we will do is find ways to find companies who are doing really cool and interesting work and create material that would be genuinely useful, genuinely informative, and still objective and and not sort of directing people in terms of what to buy or who to buy from. So being able to find that balance is important for us. And we started with Nuance here for podcast communication because they're a huge 8,000-person firm, probably the best-known NLP company in the world. Uh, We've interviewed a number of very smart folks from that company and decided to go with them first. So we'd love to hear your feedback on this. Feel free to find me, Dan Fagella, on LinkedIn or just pop us an email back to one of our newsletters. Let us know how you experience this sort of four-part series on NLP and feel free to go back and listen to some of the previous ones if you haven't already. As I mentioned before, we did create a rather robust piece based on this four-interview series here with Nuance, all about NLP basics for business leaders. What are the current applications? What's coming up in the future? And what's the basic glossary of terms that non-technical business folks should have a good grasp of if they want to understand and make sense of NLP within their company? Uh, We created a big resource, a large article featuring a number of case studies. That's at E-M-E-R-J, that's Emerge with a J, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash 
NLP. So you can go to emerj.com slash NLP and you can check that out. That's our, again, our longer resource on NLP basics for business leaders. Do give me your thoughts on that. Let me know what you thought about the series in general. I think we'll be partnering with some other excellent brands in the future and trying to create as valuable a resource as we conceivably can in both audio and in text. So we're collecting a lot more case studies now, doing work at a lot higher volume, and it's a very exciting time for us. And I'd love to gather your thoughts as well. So if you like this episode and you like this series, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, Reviews help give us feedback, of course, but also help other folks find us. We've got 40,000 business leaders that listen to the show every single month. We've got over 100,000 sessions on the website, uh, probably close to 150,000 sessions of the website every single month now at techemergence.com. And other people, hearing from other people is often sort of how it works. So we certainly appreciate if you drop a review or send us a message here at techemergence.com. So uh, without further ado, that's all for this series on AI and industry. We will be catching you next week. 